morning, church, and uh, happy year. It's my pleasure to fill in for, for Pastor Chris. Uh, I think he's been working really hard over the past three years and planting the church and shepherding all of you, so he's definitely enjoying a well-deserved uh, break from the pulpit. Uh, before I get into the sermon, I invite you to uh, bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, Ancient of Days, just like in the song. Lord, you created time and you sent it off time. And you have given us yet another year, 2023. It is from you. And the reason why we have this year, the reason why we're here, is because you are still unfolding your plan of salvation for your people. Your people to be saved. Your word is still to be proclaimed. The day that that comes to an end is the day that you will return to And so, Lord, we need you. We need, we need you. All of us need you to stand firm on your word. For that is you speaking to us today. And it is through your word that the gospel is proclaimed. And Lord, I need you. I need you this hour. Your undeserving and unworthy servant to preach your word. Please, Holy Spirit, help me to speak. And Lord, I pray that your word builds your people up. I thank you for, I thank you for this day and teach us to number our days this year. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm encouraged to say how many of you are here uh, today. You're obviously taking the words day very seriously. Uh, you know, wow. But if you think about it, many in society right now are probably waking up. Uh, from, you know, their drunkenness and have hangovers from last night. Yet you are here. And by the way, what a great opportunity to share the gospel with your co-workers next week. They're going to ask, what did you do on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day? And you can tell them you started your year with the Word of God with the gospel. This is a great opportunity to share with your co-workers. And also something else to keep in mind as you interact with other people in society, uh, as you interact with your co-workers, your family, friends, and other believers, that many of them right now are going to be talking about New Year's resolutions. Every year that happens. New Year's resolutions such as losing more weight or people want to stop drinking, they want to quit smoking, they want to work out or whatever else they have committed to last year, but by the time February came, they gave up. And most of them don't have any significant results. You know, it's funny because this fits perfectly with the definition of Albert Einstein uh, to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And that is what most of our secular society is doing. And not only when you're in New Year's resolutions, but they're doing that with their sin. But we, as Christians, have hope. And we must resolve this year, yet again, to be grounded in the Bible. Because we know that the Word of God is God speaking to us. It teaches us how to walk in righteousness. It produces results in our lives. That is the only thing in this world it changes people. It is the Word of God. 
Also, the Word of God protects us from the lies of this culture and also from false teachings of the so-called North American Church. But I want to encourage us that we must not grow tired or discouraged to read, study, and apply the Scriptures by the time February comes. But we must resolve to form daily habits to be in the Word of God, just as Pastor Chris encouraged all of you this morning. But do a Bible reading plan. Keep each other accountable. Be in the Word of God. Martin Luther once said, quote, I have made a covenant with God that he sends me neither visions, dreams, nor even angels. I am well satisfied with the gift of the Holy Scriptures, which give me abundant instruction and in all I need to know both for this life and for that which is to come, end quote. Throughout history, as is today, Scripture was often overlooked. It was minimized, ignored, tempered with, or exchanged to justify the lusts of the culture and the lies of liberal and cultic zealots. And this has resulted in a wholesale abandonment of biblical Christianity. Now, more than ever, we must boldly and confidently proclaim what the 1689 London Baptist Confession states, and the Westminster, there's a few others, quote, the Holy Scriptures are the only sufficient, certain, and infallible, without error, standard of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. We must echo this statement because we're constantly bombarded with information from inside and outside of the North American church. The culture constantly pushes destructive philosophies contrary to the Bible. And so-called liberal theologians who support the culture are redefining terms and telling us that this chapter and this verse of the Bible means something entirely different, leading many astray. And then after this, the new and upcoming YouTube or TikTok prophet telling you that she has some new revelation from God. And we have a recipe for confusion and compromise, which twists the word of God and sabotages the gospel of Jesus Christ, leading many on the broad way of destruction. And so you and I to be committed daily, to be students of the Scriptures, and to hold the Word of God as our only anchor, and only God, and final authority, to sort out and silence all the voices telling us to add, remove, or edit the Word of God to suit our culture and sinful desires. We must filter everything that we see and everything that we hear through the Bible alone. And so I've titled the sermon, It is Written, because it is quoted 92 times in the Bible to remind the reader of God's promises and commands as they are written across the pages of the Bible. In responding to Satan in Matthew 4, 4, our Lord Jesus Christ quoted the scriptures and said, quote, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God that comes from the Lord. 
And so today I have nothing else to give to you but the complete and all-inspired Word of God, just as Jesus relied upon during His ministry on earth, and so did the church for the past 2,000 years. Truth and eternal life are found in the Holy Scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand, and someone will give you one. I invite you to stand in honor of God's Word, and turn with me to our text for today, 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every work. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be silent. By way of context, 2 Timothy was the second letter written by Paul to Timothy, his protege, and young pastor on an assignment at the church of Ephesus. Paul who was in prison at the time for preaching the gospel, encouraged and commanded Timothy to remain grounded in God's word and to confront the false teachers of his day that were upsetting Christians and also to confront the rampant ungodliness that was surrounding him. The setting of the Ephesian church was in Asia Minor, which was the epicenter of the cult of Artemis. This cult celebrated the nature of goddess associated with carnal fertility rituals, orgy rites, and religious prostitution. In other words, anything went in Ephesus when it came to sex. If you think about it, the cultural parallels to today are striking. And so you can imagine that the message of Christ and of repentance, of godliness, and of one absolute truth was not a popular message. Paul warned Timothy that those who desire to live a godly life will also be persecuted. But you know, such was the narrow path that leads to eternal life. And so today, I want us to learn why it is crucial that we first believe that the Bible is God speaking to us and that it has been working in our lives. And second, that we must proclaim it against false teachings, and against ungodliness. And third, that we are required to live out the Word of God as we grow in godliness so that we are living examples of God's truth. Which leads me to my first forward to believe the Bible that it is God speaking to us. In verse 16, Paul reminds Timothy that all Scripture, specifically the Old Testament in Timothy's case, were breathed out by God. Paul is making the case that these writings are divine in nature. And in the preceding verse, Paul writes to Timothy that these scriptures, the sacred writings, make Timothy wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. And so clearly the Old Testament writings were not mere words on a parchment, but words that when read pointed to the coming of Jesus Christ, the Savior of God's people. 
What is most telling is the Greek word for without by God. It is theopneustos, a compound word between theos, which means God, and pneuma, which means spirit. In other words, it means that it is produced by the Spirit of God. It is understood as the air that was physically expelled out of the lungs of God. It is the same idea as when God breathed life into the nostrils of Adam in Genesis 2-7. And when Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on his disciples in John 20, 22. In a similar way, God breathed out his word into the writers of the Old and New Testament. You see, the writers of the New Testament often, often quoted from the Old Testament to show how the Old Testament was fulfilled in the New. Or as Augustine said, quote, the New is in the Old concealed, and the Old is in the New revealed. The Old and New Testaments are in perfect harmony with no contradictions. It is a perfect display of the fact that God cannot lie and is sovereign. He is in control of everything. And so, what you have in the 66 books of the Bible are the very living words of God. Let me put that in perspective for us. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years by approximately four different men in three separate languages across three separate continents without a single error and it answers all the existential and practical questions of life. And even to this day, there are many preserved copies of the Old and New Testament manuscripts. Friends, there is not a single work of antiquity that comes remotely close in comparison to of the Bible. And so what we have here is God moving among the authors of the Bible to write exactly what God wanted them to write. This was not a mere dictation or listening to some voice telling the authors what to write, but God used the writer's personalities, their emotions, their experiences, their minds, and as such breathing into them word by word sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, one unified message that is miraculously the Word of God. We read in 2 Peter 1, 20-21 that, quote, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And since Scripture is inspired, it is also fully complete. The writer of Hebrews informs us, quote, long ago, many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in this last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2. And what we have is that over the course of the writings of the Old Testament through vision, symbols, and parables, and various literary genres, God revealed His plan of redemption in Jesus Christ as recorded for us in the New Testament. Speaking of the Scriptures, 
Jesus said in John 5.39, quote, in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. The Bible is inspired by God and complete. And it is the only absolute truth in this world. There are no other religions, philosophies, ideas, thoughts, or opinions that can give you hope and that it can save you. Only the scriptures. And I know that you as Christians here today know this, but it's good to be often reminded of that. The truth, that truth, that one absolute truth is grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason why Timothy was saved, the reason why you are saved, the reason why anyone could come to the forgiveness of their sins and have eternal life is because of the good news of Jesus Christ recorded for us in the living word of God. You may have heard the saying, Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Implying that the gospel is best proclaimed by our actions and love for others instead of using words. Friends, this is the greatest lie promoted in the evangelical church today. If you and I do not proclaim the word of God as it is written, no one will be saved. People may think you are a good Christian, but if you do not proclaim the gospel to them, they will die and go to hell thinking you're a nice person. And also, we cannot rely on our personal testimonies alone, which let's be honest, are often they're not filled with emotional stories that speak of Jesus, but don't proclaim the gospel as revealed in the Word of God. Now, I do not want to minimize your testimonies of salvation. They're great, but if you are to use them, make them powerful. Make sure that they are saturated with the Word of God. One way you can do that is memorize, quote, and read scripture that is most applicable to how God has changed your life as you share your testimony with other people. Knowing full well that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, Hebrews 4.12. Life and death depend on the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. God will never save your co-workers, your family members, or your friends if we simply regurgitate testimonies full of personal anecdotes and weak paraphrases of scripture. Romans 10, 17 reminds us that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Do you know the true Christian faith? Are you deeply immersed in the scriptures that speak 
of this faith? I want you to meditate on this next question. Is Jesus just a savior to you? Or is he your savior and king of your life? Think about that. Those are two separate things. We must remind ourselves that the Christian faith is not some abstract faith or some energy force, but it is the trust and confidence that was delivered to the saints once and for all through the Old and New Testament. It is a strong belief and reliance on the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is our God and King. Only through Christ we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Even the Apostle Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reminded the Corinthian church that Christ, quote, died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Jesus also was clear in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And also, it is the word of God, according to Psalm 19, that restores the soul, makes wise the simple, gives joy to the heart and light to the eyes. Only God can save, and He has ordained that this salvation comes directly from His word as it is written. You and I must say with Martin Luther, quote, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me, it has feet, it runs after me, it has hands, it lays a hold of me. Give me scripture, 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 do you hear me? Scripture. Because the word of God is inspired and complete, if we fail to proclaim God's word as it is written, we tamper with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we deny the inspiration of scripture in its completeness, we're also might be found guilty of denying Jesus Christ. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 tells us, quote, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His words, lest He rebuke you, and you be found a liar. And so, we must hold in the inspiration totality of the Bible to begin discovering the richness of God's revelation of Himself as found in His Holy Scriptures. Which brings us to our second point, where to proclaim the Bible for teaching. We see in verse 16, all Scriptures be without my God and profitable for teaching. Paul writes in Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Therefore, the Bible is profitable. It aids, it helps, it is beneficial for teaching, which basically means instructing, imparting biblical knowledge. These teachings are what theologians call doctrine. It is what God wants us to believe about His Word, about him, about men and sin, about Christ, redemption, the church, and about our future hope. It is studying and applying verse by verse the entire Bible, which will inform our thinking, 
our beliefs and our actions and conform us to the will of God. The reality is, you do not know what you do not know. It is possible to be a biblically unthought Christian because you are in an unbiblical teaching church. And as a result, this could make you pray to misinterpreting the Bible. Because of that, Scripture is very clear in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, in Ephesians 4, 11, that God has gifted men to teach proper Christian doctrine in the church. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2, 2, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so the idea that we don't need church, and then we can just lock ourselves at home with our Bibles is not only foreign to Scripture, but it is dangerous because we will apply our own bias, our own ideas to the Word of God without any accountability. And as a result, this will open us to misinterpreting the Bible and being led astray. I have heard some people say to me in the past, that because it says in 1 John 2, 27, that, quote, you have no need that anyone should teach you, means they do not need to go to a good church and sit under godly leadership. But such thinking is prevalent in me, myself, and I Christianity. And it's not only a misinterpretation of that passage, but a wholesale attack on the bride of Christ, the church. This verse that I just read in context is not about Christian teaching, but about human wisdom, philosophies, and opinions. Instead, we only need scripture, scripture, scripture. And so anybody who steps behind this pulpit should be able to teach you the scriptures, apply them to your life, and show you one clear interpretation. A good church will equip you to know the scriptures for yourself. And you have the responsibility to test everything that you hear. You cannot simply rely on what the pastor is telling you. You must be like the Bereans in the book of Acts, who examined the word of God to see if what they were hearing was true. I want to encourage you, if you're a Christian here today, you have the Holy Spirit. In you. And because of that, you will understand the importance of sitting under good teaching and learning how to interpret the scriptures. The Holy Spirit will bear witness to you that the scriptures are true. This is because of the doctrine of illumination. In the book of Nehemiah, we read, quote, You gave your good spirit to instruct them. And Paul said in the Ephesian church, Quote, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. So take heart that the Holy Spirit will guide you in all ways. According to 2 Peter 3.18, we are commanded to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what that means practically for you and I is that we can approach God with assurance and ask Him to give us the desire and discipline to be daily students of His Word. 
We need to make it a habit to always be working through a good Bible study or a Bible reading plan. You need to make it a habit to memorize scripture. Now I know these practices do not come naturally to our sinful desires. They don't. It's, it's hard. We need to motivate ourselves. But we have God's Holy Spirit within us that will grow our love and desire for His Word. If you ask Him, He must answer that prayer because He wants you to do that. And so I want to encourage all of you to set realistic, achievable goals to do that. Don't try to be a super Christian and read the entire Bible in a month. And if you can do that, good. But for most of us, it's hard. We can't do that. It is better to study a little over time, five minutes a day, just like Pastor Christian. It's better to do that than to burn out within a month and not study for the rest of the year. And so again, ask the Holy Spirit for help to be saturated in the Word of God. And as you sit under good teaching, you learn Christian doctrine and are constantly saturated in the Scriptures, you will bear fruit. And part of that fruit is discernment. You'll be able to identify false teachings. They creep into the lives of people, which leads them away from the truth. You will also be able to confront false teachings with the Word of God. And so, the Bible is also profitable for reproof. The meaning of reproof is to rebuke or refute. It is the expression of strong disapproval. It is to confront false teachings with the Bible and also to confront ungodly behavior. Paul is reminding Timothy that the inspired word of God is beneficial to him to confront false teachers and their followers so that the gospel of Christ is not blasphemy. I want you to notice in our text that reproof comes after teaching. Because to identify what is false, you must know, first know what is true. Second Timothy 2, 17 to 18, Paul warned Timothy of Hymenaeus and Philaeus. They had departed from the truth of the gospel and were saying that the resurrection had already happened. These two men were influenced by their contemporary Greek culture and philosophy. Essentially, they were saying that there was no physical resurrection and Christians had no resurrection body to look forward to. Apparently, the resurrection was only spiritual because spirit could not coexist with it. That's what they were teaching. And as a result, what you had was Christians were already living a resurrected life in some spiritual realm and nothing was sinful to that genre. Now you can imagine that this false teaching resulted in leading people into more ungodliness. And saying that since spirit and matter were opposed and could not coexist, Christians had no choice but to continue doing evil in the body. You see, the problem was that these false teachers were twisting the gospel of Christ, were twisting the word of God, and promoting a different gospel that primarily appeased the sinful desires of the flesh. Scripture was not sufficient for them. They applied Greek philosophy to the Scriptures. You see, bad theology, bad teaching hurts people spiritually. It leads them away from God and further condemns them to hell. That is important for us to know. 
And so you and I are called to use the scriptures to confront false teachers and false teachings. In Ephesians 6, 17, we're told to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is the only offensive weapon in Ephesians 6 that allows us to be on the offensive. We need to be reminded we are at war against the devil and his schemes. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power, that is the word of God, to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, 2 Corinthians 10, 3. You see, Satan's strategy is to have people question the word of God so that the gospel of Jesus Christ is undermined. It is an old trick of his. The first recorded words of Satan were in Genesis 3, 1, where he told Eve, quote, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He challenged God's word right from the beginning. And I, don't, I want to encourage you not to be deceived here. Most of our attacks do not come from atheists, but from professing Christians and other religions. I want to give you four marks of a cult, a false teaching, and a false religion. One, they add to the 66 books of the Bible. Two, they subtract from the Trinity and the deity of Christ. Three, they multiply works for salvation. And four, they divide the loyalty of their followers from God to the leader. Without fail, one or all four elements will be present. For example, Martin Luther confronted the Roman Catholic Church because he added to the books of the Bible. The church leadership and the council, the traditions were needed to interpret the Bible. They also added to faith alone. The official position of the Roman Catholic Church to this very day is that, a, is, is that faith alone is not sufficient. A person must pray to Mary and celebrate Mass and venerate the Pope and observe the any decrees of the Roman Catholic Church and perform meritorious works and not die with any mortal sins and, and, and. Nowhere in Scripture can you find the Roman Catholic doctrines. They are all man-made. And then there's Mormonism. Those really nice folks that knock on the door. Mormonism, the Church of Christ of Latter-day Saints, and its founding prophet Joseph Smith, who was allegedly visited by an angel telling him that Christianity and the Bible got it all wrong, and that he was the chosen one for new and correct revelation. And it's important for us to know that. Mormons have four alleged sources: the Bible. The Book of Mormon, Doctrines and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. In Mormonism, Jesus' incarnation was a result of a physical relationship between God, the Father, and Mary. And salvation can be earned by a combination of faith and good works. And once salvation is achieved, you become God. You earn your own planet, and as a God, you have multiple wives, and procreate, and have other gods who repeat the cycle. Friends, Mormonism is one of the most polytheistic religions in the world that puts to shame Hinduism and Greek 
mythology. It is foreign to Christianity, and even though Mormons use Christian language, it has nothing to do with biblical Christianity. Isaiah 45, 5 clearly says, I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. But you see, what I worry about infiltrating faithful churches like this one uh, is not Roman Catholicism or Mormonism, but false teachings that are more appealing such as the idea that uh, God still communicates to us through mystical feelings, impressions of the heart, or as is most commonly known, words of the heart. Please hear me out. One of the most dangerous places for Christians today is on YouTube or TikTok. There are no shortages of self-proclaimed prophets telling you that they have this or that word from God for your life or some revelation about the future or that Christians must perform signs and wonders for God to save people. I want to appeal to Spurgeon's warning. Quote, Take care never to impute the vain imaginings of your fancy God. Never dream that events are revealed to you by heaven. If you feel your tongue each to talk nonsense, trace it to the devil, not to the Spirit of God. Whatever is to be revealed by the Spirit to any of us is in the Word of God already. He adds nothing to the Bible and never will. And persons who have revelation of this, that, and the other go to bed and wake up in their senses. I only wish they would follow the advice and no longer insult the ghost. It's a stern mark of a seated. Revelation has ceased according to Hebrews 1 1. And as the rich man Lazarus, who was in hell, appealed to Abraham in Luke 16 to send a sign to his brothers so that they repent, Abraham said, quote, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if so much rise from the dead. Friends, unless you preach only and only scripture, people will not believe, even if you perform signs and wonders. You must be guard. We must confront false teachers because they attack the inspired and all sufficient word of God and often blaspheme God and mock the gospel of Jesus Christ. How you can do that practically if you come across books or false teachers being promoted in your church, people like Bill Johnson from Bethel Church or Beth Moore, who by the way regularly claim to hear from God, you have an obligation to deal with that issue and put a stop to the promotion of false teachings. John Calvin said, quote, a dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked, and yet we remain silent. But we must speak the truth in love as we are commanded in Ephesians 4.15. That means that we don't get angry, we don't yell or insult our opponents. But we gently and calmly show them through scripture that what they believe is wrong. And we must pray for those caught in the lie that their eyes may be open so that they may renounce their false teaching as we reprove and correct their thinking. We see in verse 16 that the Bible is also profitable for correction. And this is the positive side of reproof. Once false teaching is exposed biblically and confronted, it is our duty as Christians to help our hearers to be on the right path. Think of it simply as a person headed in the wrong direction. And you reprove them 
And as a result, they stumble and fell to the ground. You don't just leave them there, you go and you pick them up, point them in the right direction, and you walk with them, teaching them the truth of the Bible. But when you correct them, you have to do it in the same way that Paul commanded in 2 Timothy 2.25. The Lord's bond servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Our goal in correcting people is not that we are proven right, but that the gospel is proclaimed and that our hearers may turn from their false teaching and their errors and believe in Christ. You use the Bible as a teaching tool to teach them the gospel and proper Christian doctrine. And so we must have a very straight. We reprove and correct because we love people who are in, who are made in God's image, and we want them to have the freedom in Christ that we have. We are not called to be stingy with the gospel, but to be generous with it. And so I want to encourage each and every one of you to be emboldened and to step outside of your comfort zone and start correcting people that are caught in a false teaching or in sinful living. There is a misconception in the evangelical church that 8 out of 10 people in the secular world will openly say that they are atheists and I God. I can tell you from experience that 8 out of 10 people in the secular world claim to believe in some sort of a God or even call themselves Christians. Yet, they are more wicked and deplorable in their behaviors than some self-proclaimed atheists. Why is that? Believe it is because of the North American Church, and some Christians have bought into the lie that loving your neighbor means never correcting them when they twist the Bible to justify their ideologies and sins. I mean, look at the state of the North American Church today. We have Christians advocating that we need to adopt secular atheist philosophies, such as critical race theory and intersectionality which are fancy words to say that one group of people is more privileged than others based on the race, and that groups of people or individuals can have inequality that intersects with other factors such as gender, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, class, and so forth. That's important for us to know as we bring the gospel to people. Now these liberal Christians say that we must consider changing our approach to sharing the gospel by being sensitive to the lived experience of a person. For example, a single First Nations woman, you can change that, you can put white, you can put black, you can put any other uh, race that you want. A single First Nations woman who is a lesbian, and I don't encourage you to listen, should not be confronted on the paganism of First Nations culture, or her sexual orientation, or the sinfulness of laziness, so that she's not further victimized in the name of Christianity. Instead, she should simply be told that Jesus loves her and to come as she is without a firm call to repentance. Such thinking is prevalent in the North American church. And it is an affront to biblical Christianity. If we look to scripture, we will realize that we are all sinners and we are all guilty before God according to Romans 3, regardless of our race. Regardless of our gender, class, and so forth, for 2,000 years, 
people from all tribes, from all races, from all tongues, and from all nations have come to salvation by the plain proclamation of the gospel found in Scripture alone. We do not need secular philosophies or gimmicks to understand humans. We have the Word of God. And so if you truly love someone, and you want to see them embrace Christ, you will call them to repentance loving without favoritism or apology. And I want you to remember this, that the gospel is offensive to people. We should not be surprised when we are hated for sharing the gospel according to Matthew 10.22. If the culture is praising you for the way you are sharing the gospel, then you are not sharing the true gospel of Christ. We must correct the people that God has placed in our lives with the hopes that they will be saved. Or we will soon find them back on the wrong path, promoting an unbiblical thinking which will lead them to a liberal Christianity. A Christianity that denies the expression of the Bible, blasphemes the gospel of Christ, and justifies the sinful living of many so-called Christians to the point that we now have in Canada gay and transgender pastors who host drag queen shows for kids Sunday school. We must bear the responsibility to correct the biblical thinking. But we must do it in love with the goal of equipping our hearers with the truth of Scripture so that they can be instructed in Christian living. Which brings me to our last point, where to live the Bible for training and so the Bible is profitable for training in righteousness. The word training in our context means to instruct, to build up. It is the same idea as we see in Ephesians 6, 4, where fathers are commanded to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It is the same way Paul is telling Timothy that since the Bible is inspired, it is to be used for instruction. It is a positive aspect of reproof and correction. Timothy, by extension, all preachers and teachers of the Bible are to use the Word of God as a tool to train the congregation in righteousness, which simply means how to live according to God's will. And so training in righteousness is to train Christians to do right according to what the Bible commands. But you see, this requirement is not only for Timothy pastors. The purpose of the pastor is to train you, the Christian, to do God's will, and so in turn you can train others to do the same. It is part of fulfilling the Great Commission to go and make disciples, according to Matthew 28, 19. But for the pastor and for you to know how to do God's will, you must be soaked in the inspired word of God. Jesus tells you in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And since these commandments are found in the Word of God, you and I are to grow in our knowledge and application of the Word of God, so that we impart that knowledge to other Christians. You must first be trained by the Word of God before you can train others. In the same way you can say physical change in your physical body if you are to pay attention to what you eat or you exercise, in the same way you can see you changing your beliefs in your thoughts, in your actions, and in your speech, if you were to study and apply to your life the teachings of the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, 
There is no middle ground in Christianity. You're either growing in righteousness or you're not. You're either going from bad to worse or from good to better. Now, that does not mean that you will achieve perfection in this world. Far from it. But you will see spiritual fruit in your life according to Galatians 5. It is impossible for a Christian not to have any spiritual fruit at all. There will be evidence in your life of growing in righteousness as the Holy Spirit conforms you in the image of Christ through His written word. We either believe that the inspired word of God is alive and that it changes us, or we don't. And I feel that many in the evangelical church profess the Bible itself, but practically they do not believe it. We have to be reminded that the same Holy Spirit has raised us from being spiritually dead and gave us life will help us to grow in the knowledge of God's will as found in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is powerful enough to grow us. And so if you call yourself a Christian here today, what I'm saying to you is foreign. It sounds strange. Perhaps you have never seen fruit in your life. There's never been any change in your life. I implore you, pick up the Bible, read it. Read about Christ, repent of your sins, and place your faith in Jesus and become a Christian once and for all. Now, if you can relate to what I'm saying, you have seen some spiritual growth in the past, in different stages in your life, but for whatever reason now, you're just discouraged. You're going through a spiritual desert, or you have not grown in a while. I want to encourage you to continue pursuing Christ through His Word, so that you find completeness and growth in Godlessness in your walk with Christ. We see in verse 17, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In this verse, Paul is telling Timothy that the inspired word of God, scripture, is capable to complete, to make Timothy do the work of a pastor and to equip him or enable him to do God's will, which will be made evident in his life. The Word of God will equip Timothy to lead an exemplary life before the church. And as he preaches the Word, the congregation will also be transformed. That is the power of the Word. We read in Ephesians 4, 11 to 18. And he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so we may not be called to leadership in the church, but we as Christians are all disciples of Christ and are all called to imitate godly leaders and are commanded to live godly lives as our minds are informed and transformed by the Word of God. MacArthur writes, quote, whether our purpose is to lead men and women to save in faith in Jesus Christ, to teach God's truth to believers, to refute error in the church, to correct and rebuild error believers, or to train believers to live righteously, our supreme and sufficient resource is God's Word. It not only gives us the information to teach, but also shapes us 
into living examples of that truth. Friends, there's nothing more damaging to the gospel than acting hypocritically as Christians. If we call ourselves disciples of Christ and are telling people that the Word of God will transform their lives, then we ought to be transformed ourselves. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here's the practical ways you can do that. And I'm saying this because I've experienced that myself. Stop taking God's name in vain in your speech. Or using crude language. Or laughing at wicked worldly humor. Or watching movies and shows that promote pornographic and violent imagery. Stop getting drunk with your coworkers and friends. Now, this is not just behavioral modification but a changing behavior because of your love for Christ. You should hate your sin, not because of its consequences, but because it offends and brings reproach to the one who died for you, Christ. Would you use, that was very powerful for me to stop thinking about the name. Would you use your mother's name in the place of a cuss word or tolerate hearing it if it's in your part to push stop? How much more for God's name? Jesus said in John 15 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Yeah, many people will see you as awkward, and make fun of you for not being like the world, but we've been warned in 2 Timothy 3 12, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Have you counted the costs? Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 1, 3 16, not to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, I don't want to impose rules on you, but I want to encourage you that if you are a believer, the Bible says that you will be complete and equipped to the end of the world. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be saving yourselves. We're saved through faith alone, but that faith is never alone. It will produce good works. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James 2, 26. We cannot divorce. We cannot separate faith and good works. But I want to make something very clear. Only faith in Jesus Christ saves us not our good works. By being saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ, we will be given the ability to do good works in the power of the Holy Spirit. Good works are a result of our salvation in Christ, not the other way around. But if you call yourself a Christian and do not have any good works at all, then your faith is not grounded in the Word of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. It is a dead faith. The Bible is inspired and sufficient to make it capable and skilled in fulfilling the will of God through good works so that you may be able to live out and proclaim the gospel and train others in godliness. And Jesus promised that once you are saved, you will never lose your salvation, according to John 10, 27-29. 
And then being encouraged by you if you're going through a difficult season and you're not seeing much fruit. But he also promises that once you have placed your faith in him, he will also finish the good work and start in you, according to Philippians 1, 6. As Christians, we must believe that the word of God is speaking to us today. And that the Holy Spirit will guide us in all understanding of Scripture. And we must proclaim the Bible as we confront false teachings and ungodliness and correct those whom God has placed in our lives. So Christians, stay hard. Take heart as you live out your faith that you will grow in godliness. As you go to the Bible reading plan this year, or whatever you commit to, there will be fruit. God promises you that. And by the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit in you, that fruit will be shown in your life. As long as you anchor yourself in the all-inspired and all-sufficient Word of God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you save us. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, yet you, by your goodwill, by your providence, have decided to save us and to bring you, to bring us into your glory. And you have done that by the proclamation of the word, by your living word. And I ask you that we love your word as much as you love it, Lord. You tell us that your word will not pass away. The earth will pass away one day, but your word endures forever. Help us to believe that. I pray for this congregation and as they enter 2023, that they are committed to be students of the word and they desire to be in the word. I pray for Pastor Chris. As he continues to proclaim the word, that you continue to change the congregation and make them a light here in Red Deer so that your gospel is proclaimed. Lord, I thank you for this day that you have given us. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to to stand up and
Thank you. 